Welcome SOS listeners, Secrets of Success listeners. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, today's show is just a delightful guest, Gordon Treadgold. Now, Gordon was just recently uh, listed for the second time as one of the top 100 Inc. magazine leadership experts. Gordon was born in the UK, and now he will say in the show that he is living in Germany, but he's lived all around the world. But one of the reasons that Gordon's on the show is one of our previous uh, guests, Dr. Michelle, referred him to me. And you know what? He's delightful. He's approachable. He is practical. And it's interesting. There are There's a little story that he shares at the end of the show that I just want to encourage you to stay listening that would be an encouragement for all of us in that his information applies to every part of life as far as do we want to be more successful, especially as a leader, especially as a business owner, but also in our own life, on our projects, on our strategies. The other thing that I want to encourage you is that all the tools and resources around CRG really help to simplify, help to clarify, help to get um, clear about your direction, what you want to do, who you need to become, uh, the skill sets you have, the values you have, the personal style that is your preference so that we can play to our strengths and serve and help others at our highest level. And that is my encouragement for everybody else and hope for everybody else as well as the CRG team that you would realize your potential and somehow or other this podcast and our tools and resources at CRG will help to contribute to you realizing your potential and making a difference in other people's lives. So without further ado, here's my interview with Gordon Treadgold. Well, each week we want to have experts, global experts from around the world that can help us to be more effective, have strategies that are practical to live life as a leader, as an entrepreneur, as an individual, as a person. And today is no exception. I actually had one of my previous guests all the way from Australia refer our guest who is now in the UK. And so please welcome our guest, Gordon Treadgold. Gordon, thanks for being on the show today. You're welcome. And I'm actually in Dusseldorf, Germany. Well, how did that happen? Where did you uh, just move in the last five minutes since we were talking <laughs> off air? Well, you never asked me where I was. <laughs> yeah, I guess that is that is a point. Now, is that where you're living now, or is that uh, where you're hanging out at the moment? Yeah, um, so I have a house here in Dusseldorf. I moved here around seven years ago, uh, probably a little bit longer actually, because I spent three I spent three of the last four in Florida. But I, I joined a company called Henkel. Uh, to be their senior vice president of um, IT service delivery, and uh, the role was based out of Dusseldorf. So, in 2009, I moved. I moved to Dusseldorf, and then lived there till end of 2014, and then did three years in uh, in Florida. But I've lived in I've lived in Arizona for three years. I was working for DHL as deputy CIO out there, and, and prior to that, I was with DHL in Prague for a year and prior to that I lived in Holland for three years working at the uh, European container terminals on a huge IT system and uh, change program. Well Gord, thanks from wherever you are at the moment 
<laughs> You've had a lot of travels and uh, a lot of experiences living in different areas around the world, so congratulations on all that success. And Gordon, I do want to mention for the listeners here that you have been selected by Inc. Magazine as one of the top 100 leadership experts and speakers. So how did you get on that list? Uh, so I got on the, so there's two lists. One of them is, uh, the first one I was on was uh, Inc. Magazine Top 100 Leadership and Management Experts. And I got on that list in, I think that was 2014. And I got on that list just by sheer way of material that I produced. I, I decided that I wanted to share my approach to leadership, which was something that I didn't see uh, being put forward in a lot of books, um, and, and I wanted to, and it, for me it worked, and people seemed to like it. So I wanted to to share that, and I I wrote about eight or nine hundred uh, leadership articles on my own website, uh, built up a following of around half a million, and with all of that information swirling in and around the internet, Inc. Magazine identified me as one of the top 100 experts. My blog had already been selected for like the top 50 and then the top 10 for a while, but then, um, yes, somebody in Inc. Magazine recognized the, the work that I'd been doing. So it was just the, I think the sheer volume of output and I'd like to think quality of output as well might have had something to do with it, but I think it was the sheer volume of uh, output that I produced. Well, congratulations on all the hard work and that you've been on the list or two lists now with them. So uh, that doesn't happen by accident. So we thank you for taking the time to be with us on the show today. You're welcome. So, Gord, what we like to do is really give the listeners, an op, uh, SOS listeners, an opportunity to get to know you a little bit. Yeah. Is you know where you grew up and just your background and you know as a kid what were you hanging out your parents were like so just start us with that um, so you did start uh, I'm assuming <laughs> oh, in the yeah. UK yeah yeah I'm I'm from Leeds in the north of England um, and uh, uh, grew up there and, and stayed there until I went to university at 18 and studied mathematics. So I'm a very, I, I'm a little bit of a math nerd, but the other thing is that I'm a huge sports fan and particularly rugby. And I absolutely loved rugby. And that was really how I got into leadership, understanding the importance of uh, teamwork and belief of teams, creating strategies and plans because it, it occurred to me. You know, and we see we see it often that it's not the best team that wins always. Sometimes it's the best prepared team, and an average team with a great plan can be a great team with an average plan. Uh, and that got me to start to think about leadership and how we could. And with my maths background, that you know, problem solving ability, how could I come up with plans that would help teams achieve great results, even though they might just be. Uh, an average team. Mm. Uh, my parents are working class. Uh, my dad was the first member of his family not to work down the coal mines going back about five or six generations, <clears throat> which was a big inspiration for me because it was, you know, that was kind of like, you know, you know my dad as one of my heroes, as uh, a lot of parents are to their kids, but with my dad showing that you could actually take some control over your destiny. 
you know, he decided I'm not going to work down the coal mines and got a, uh, went to grammar school, got an education, was smart enough to go to university, but I think that was uh, a bridge too far for him at the time, although he did go to night school and get the uh, the equivalent in electrical engineering. But he was the one that kind of inspired me for, you know, we can do significantly more than we think. We're not We're not tied to who are to our past and you know where we come from we can watch go where we want to go so that with the problem solving and the interesting sport and how do you put teams in with a position of with a with a, a chance of success really got me interested in uh, in leadership so your go to thanks for it so you go to university uh, then what where where was your sort of uh, leading <laughs> how did how did you come to that sort of direction out of university? So my so I think it was I think all of the ingredients that problem solving that uh, you know that belief that we could change and control you know where we were going and that you know belief in teamwork. I actually took a job in production management and um, that was excellent. I did that for six months and. I actually improved the factory's operation by around 70% in over a six-month period. The only did, problem. So let me stop you there. How did you do that? What, what happened? So here's this <laughs> newbie out of university. Here's yeah. all these other people with all this experience. Yeah. How did you improve that by 70% so quickly? So when so I. My, my, I have some key X-Men powers, really, um, and one of them is keeping things simple. Uh, and the other thing with, that I think I got from, I don't know whether I got it from mathematics or it helped me with mathematics, but pattern recognition. So being able to look at things and see what's working and, not, and what's not working and do that analysis. And, and we had, in the factory I worked in, we had five different machines and we, pr we produced five different types of products. And every time we changed one machine from one type of a product to another, it involved between a two and a four hour downtime. And I thought, we've got five product types and five machines. If I don't switch the product times, types between the machines, I don't have that four hour downtime. And, and well, it was, it was a set. Yeah, absolutely. And you look at, I was looking at that, this can't be right, because why wouldn't other people do it? And, and the, the problem was that, you know, we, we had a situation where everything was, it needs to be delivered now, so there was no time to really plan, you know. We, we didn't have to plan, we had to just act, do it, create a product, okay, do this, do that. And what I did was I just stepped back, analyzed it, and thought, this is not the best way to do this. So let's let's miss a couple of deliveries, and I'll you know I'll take it on the the chin for that. But what we will do then is we'll be able to improve our performance and uh, deliver it. And I and after six months I got called into the boss's office, and I'm expecting one of three things. I'm expecting a promotion because I've increased productivity by around sixty to seventy percent. I'm expecting a bonus. Or I'm expecting a pay rise. So I went in all um, happy and cheerful and came out with my pink slip having been let go because we'd run out of work and they had to close the factory down. <laughs> so I sometimes look Surprise. at that. 
So I'm, I sometimes look at that and I think, did the other people realise that if they if they did improve it, they'd run out of work and would be out of out of a job, or had they you know so they kind of you know designed the process to keep people employed rather than designed the process to um, be mm. efficient. And I you know I don't know which of those two it is. I suspect it was <clears throat> more they just didn't notice. But yeah, so. Increased productivity by 60 to 70 percent, and after six months, I was let go. But you know, as as disappointed as I was, that that again was you know kind of proof to me that you know if we analyze things and we take that problem-solving approach to it, we will be able to find ways to to get to do things faster, better, and uh, cheaper. You just need mm. to make sure there's enough work for you to keep going. Mm. Mm. And so where do you go next? So here you have your pink slip. Um, and <laughs> now was, what? That was a quite a small company of 200 employees. So I decided after that that I was only ever going to work for global corporations that had no chance of uh, going bust within six months of me joining, whether I was the one that caused it or, or not. And I, I uh, I did. Um, it took me about six months to find a job, and during that period, this was 1985-86. I, I went, and part of my degree in my last year involved IT, computer programming, and computer programming was just coming into you know, its kind of infancy within business. So I, I went and learned out a programming COBOL, and then joined um, a company in Leicester near Coventry. Uh, that you visited, and a company called British Shoe Corporation, and I started as a, a programmer, and after two to three years, I advanced into project management. They had this situation where you could only, you know, they had like a, you know, it was kind of old school, it was, you know, you were a trainee for six months, a junior for six months, a programmer for a year, then you'd move to senior programmer after another year after that, uh, and I looked at that and I thought, I don't want to be doing that, that feels too slow. I, I already understand how to do the job. I don't need to go through this promotion. So I thought, how can I accelerate my growth? And what I noticed was there was a lot of difficult projects that everybody was afraid of getting involved in because if you fail on something at that point, which was like a million, two million dollar program, you, you're probably going to set your career back three, four, five years. And I, and I, I didn't really have that concern so I decided that I would volunteer for all the difficult projects and two reasons for that one if it fails everybody thought it was going to fail anyway so you don't get too badly burned but if you're a success now you've got a chance to be to be a, become a, a star within the organization and so I took on complex projects used the problem solving my ability to lead teams and motivate people uh, and, and started to deliver some pretty impressive projects and, and, and built my career from there and then went on to leading $10 million projects uh, as we talked about um, moved to Holland, ran one there that was 10 million for the container tunnels, moved to join DHL, applied for a job to do a 20 million project, which for me was a big step up and I was really, you know, we were talking about before we started imposter syndrome, I was thinking it's double but I, I should be able to do that. And in the interview, a good friend of mine, David Thorneywell, he said to me, 
I want to stop the interview because I don't want to offer you the job that we're talking about. And I was like, okay. Mm -hmm. Not particularly happy about that, but I'll, I'll just, let's see where it goes. And he said, we've got a, a $100 million program uh, four project managers, program managers have failed. I think you would be an ideal fit for that. What do you think? And I'm sat there thinking, I've been running 10 million. I thought 20 million was a bit of a stretch. And now you're asking me to do 100 million. And a little bit of that imposter syndrome kicked in. But I wanted to join DHL, one of the biggest companies in the world. Wanted to live in Prague. So I signed up for it and then went and delivered a hundred million dollar program which allowed me to jump up two or three career levels in in one go really awesome, awesome. Now, Gord, now, Gord, uh, uh, sorry they're sorry. feedback there. no worries uh, could we help the audience understand what is the imposter syndrome for those that are listening not everybody is clear about that and there's been actually books written about it, but just share with the audience what that is. And I know many of us have been through it at different times, and I'm sure some of the listeners as well. So the imposter syndrome, it, it's like when I was in the Inc. magazine Top 100 Leadership Expert and Speakers. Um, when it was announced to me, I, I don't think anybody was more surprised than I was. And my wife said to me, you should share that. And I said, I'm not going to do that because I think I'm on there by mistake. So I'm just going to I'm just going to keep quiet and hope that nobody notices. Um, and and I think we we all suffer from that when we when we look to make a step up. We're never sure whether we, you know, unless you're super arrogant, in which case you might not have imposter syndrome. But you know, every time we get promoted, there's that little bit of doubt as to whether we're supposed to be there. And when, and when I went took the job at DHL running a $100 million program, I would never have applied for that job in a million years. I was doing $10 million, and mm. I think $20 million was a big step up. Yet the, the guy in charge looked at me and said, you could do this. And when he offered it to me, I agreed, but I had a lot of doubts. And I, I, would, I would go into meetings and I would sit there and I would be quiet. I wouldn't be... I wouldn't be the same person I was on ten million dollar projects because, you know, I didn't feel that I'd proved myself. I didn't have, you know, my self confidence was not a hundred percent at that level. But you know, after a while of sitting in meetings with people, what you realise is that everybody at that level um, either suffers from imposter syndrome or actually the. I don't know how to say this without sound, making it sound um, uh, you know, either arrogant or condescending, but you know, when you look at these next levels up, the difference between you know senior managers and managers actually it's not that great, and mm -hmm. you know just living at that level for three months, not only did I feel completely at home, I actually felt I was better than most of them anyway. But then when I got promoted to the next level, again all of those doubts came back in. And it made me, you know, keep quiet when I should have spoken up. And, you know, that feeling that you're going to get a tap on the shoulder to say, excuse me, but uh, you've been found out and we're going to take you back down to the next level. Mm. Are, you, are you familiar with the Peter Principle? Well, of course, yes. Uh, promoted beyond competency. Right. Uh, so 
the Peter principle, which is you get promoted to a level of incompetence. So I, I think sometimes that goes hand in hand with the imposter syndrome, because you get that promotion, you're thinking, have I gone one level too far? Have I have I have I peaked beyond my capability and uh, potential? Well, it's interesting, Gordon. Many many years ago, and it was probably about the same time you were going through this. I remember I was working for a company and the general manager position came up and I said, I need to apply for that. Well, I was in my 20s, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I said, well, I better not. But I looked and the guys, you know, one of my advisors said, just look at who's in the job right now. Yeah. And interacting with them. He says, do you have the capabilities as they, you know, same as they do? And I says, absolutely. <laughs> I said, and in fact, I suspect, Gordon, in all these years, you've had people in senior positions, and you would say to yourself, how did that person get that job? Yeah. How did they get that? And they would be doing an adequate job. They'd be not great, you know, but not bad. And you'd be looking, how did they get that job? And a lot of the, you know, all the, how, did, how is he there in that model? And the answer is, they asked. They put their hand up. There was some research, I, I can't remember who did it now, but the, the number one predictor of success is the ability to speak up. To you know, to ask that question, to to go for the sale, to put yourself forward, and, and I think a lot of us, we we want to prepare, we want to we want to be sure that we're ready, but in reality, you're never ready, you know. Mm. And sometimes you've just got to you just got to dive in and, and, and give it a, a go. I mean, I'm a big sports fan, and I think sometimes you know, with American football, if you get a a first round draft, you might not want to put them in in the first game, but you don't want to be waiting three, four seasons. You want to be getting them in during that first season. Let's see what they can do. But a lot of times we want to prepare and we, we over prepare. And I can tell people I wasn't ready for the 20 million, in my own mind, I wasn't ready for the 20 million job when I was doing the 10 million project. And yet, I went and was successful in a hundred million dollar project. Mm, uh, well, sort of, Gordon, it's sort of like parenting. Yeah. And you can read all the books, but there's nothing like doing it and being in the middle of it. And once you have your first and then you have your second, then it's a whole different game. So same thing here, what you're suggesting to the listeners yeah. is be a participant, get involved. Um, and the imposter syndrome is really around you know, do we feel worthy of this call? Do we feel that we're capable? And in many cases, we're not, but we would never be unless we engaged. You'll, you'll never know whether you can swim until you get in the water. You can read all of the books you like. You can do all of the training on the side of the pool that you like. You will only know for sure when you get in the water. Mm. And I people constantly surprise them. And I think this is one of the reasons why we need to have mentors for people to say, come on, go do it. You can do it. And, and one, of the big, one of the things that really drives me batshit crazy is that often, um, you know, it's like when I decided I was going to write on leadership, somebody said to me, how do you think you'll be able to uh, differentiate yourself? And he was projecting his negativity and his doubt of his ability onto me. And I think a lot of time we get we get that where people say, oh, don't apply for that job. You'll never be able to get that job. And, and what they're talking about is their own personal fears that mm. they're 
it. And what we need is we, we don't need detractors, we need promoters. And this is why people should get mentors and and work with coaches in order to, to get that confidence to, to, to go for things. Otherwise we'll just be we'll just be pulled back. I went mm. we we talked before about um, me doing, I ran the, did the marathon in Vancouver and the first time I decided to do a marathon, uh, my two best friends said to me, there's no way you're going to finish that and my wife was like, why don't you start with a, a 10k run? But these were all their fears, their concerns and if we let other people set our goals for us, mm. they'll, they'll dilute down sometimes what we actually think we can achieve. So you've got those two competing, or the three competing forces. We've got our confidence, which is always good. We've got our negative naysayer internally that's telling us don't do it, you know, the imposter syndrome. And then we've got um, our... Uh, friends, our uh, energy-sucking friends who pull us down as well. And you've got, we've got to get over their doubts as well as our own doubts in order to you know, look to go and fight and achieve things. So I'm, a, I'm a big believer in, in, in putting people forward, pushing them, promoting them. I don't want anybody to just jump into the deep end without any ability to swim because you will drown. But we can all do significantly more than we believe. Mm, I agree with that. It's interesting, Gordon, one of the items, character traits in my latest book, The Quest for Purpose, so that we're not really going to realize our purpose, which is all Dove Barron's work, too, Yeah. If, if we listen to everybody else. And so we can't worry what other people say. And one of the other sidebars to support your comment was is that when we don't have enough courage, do we have some friends where we can borrow theirs? Yes. And to help us to kind of go into that next level. So thank you for that. And I do want to encourage everybody listening that you really take a hold of what Gordon's saying for us is that, you know, we all go through these doubts. So here's Gordon, who's very, very successful, one of the top 100 Inc. magazine leadership experts, and still wondered, how did I get on the list? And so <laughs> I appreciate you being authentic, Gordon, about that, because a lot of times when we get into this space, it's, it's almost like um, people don't think that you're approachable. But yeah. you're the opposite. You've been the friendliest guy on the phone and when we chatted before and just just a real, authentic, approachable, connecting person. So no, I, don't put people on pedestals either. No. So let me, let me just tell you a little bit more about my journey because I think it might help. I wasn't going to mention this, not because... Um, any other reason, I just didn't think we'd cover it. But actually, before I start, I actually started writing at the age of 52. Uh, and I wanted to write before, but the thing that put me off doing it was my my English teacher when I was 14. I don't know what grade that would be. My English teacher when I was 14 said to me, I'm really glad you're good at mathematics because you cannot write at all. Your English is mm. terrible and you'll never do anything with English and you'll be lucky to pass the exam. And I've been carrying, I was carrying that mm. as, a, as a doubt from somebody who was an expert, you know, she, she taught English. Uh, and, and then I, when I was thinking about writing, I'm looking and I'm English and I'm, I look at writing and I'm thinking Dickens, Chaucer, Shakespeare, how the hell can I write? Mm. I, I'm, I'm not in, I'm, I could never write like they do. I, I write very simply and my English teacher tells me I can't write. And I just had to decide that 
this was my purpose, this was my passion, I'm going to do it, I'm going to publish and be damned. And I, I don't care whether anybody likes it or not, I, wa I want to share it. And uh, within, within, I think, two months um, of writing, another Canadian gentleman, uh, who's Evan Carmichael's, you know, selected my blog to be one of the top 50 blogs to watch for 2013, I think. But I had all of that. I had all of that negativity to overcome, and now I write for Forbes. I write. I've written for Inc. I write for Entrepreneur. I've written three books, fifteen hundred articles. Uh, my last book, Fast, was a finalist in Management Book of the Year in in the UK. And yet, this is somebody who never thought he could write, and whose English teacher never thought he could write, and that delayed me starting until I was fifty-two. Mm. Congratulations, Gordon. And Gordon, I think we had the same English teacher because <laughs> in grade nine, I had the same thing said by an English teacher who, guess what, was from the UK as well. So she could have been the same one. Uh, and <laughs> she know. said, I would never amount to anything. And it was discovered later when I was doing my master's degree that I was dyslexic. Oh, so man. not uh, being able to spell words correctly. And of course, the invention of the computer we're old enough, we went to school before it, and now all of a sudden all the words that are misspelt yeah. are revealed to us in the program called Word or yeah. whatever uh, format you're using. So congratulations, Gord. I'm glad that you did it. And hopefully that's an encouragement to everybody listening that you know, there's, everybody has their opinion about what we should or shouldn't be, but really in the end what matters is your own heart, your own call, what you're supposed to do. And look at, Gord, what you've done in that short period of time of writing all those items and those articles uh, so it's never too late. Uh, mm. It doesn't matter, those of you that might be a little bit older, meaning over 20, is it's never too late to kind of get into the direction of the call that you're there for. So with that transition, perfect segue, Gordon, is you've written this latest book called Fast. Yeah. And you really have four principles and these four principles apply to everybody, most, you know, not just business but individuals really yeah. keen to get into these four principles and delve into it because we it's practical for application. So let's just go into this book fast. Where did it come from and what are the four principles? Okay, so and, and just before I do that, I just want to just, uh, mention a, a point going back there that you know teachers need to be leaders. Leadership is not about putting greatness into people, it's about helping pull it out of them. And mm -hmm. if you want to be a good leader, you have to be a promoter of people. You have to give them the courage, you have to give them the confidence, you have to work with them so that they will try. And if they fail, so what? You can you can try again. People, the majority of people don't succeed the first time, but, it, uh, but a large majority never try because they, they lack the confidence. And mm -hmm. leadership, giving people that confidence to go and try and I think it's important for leaders to do that and that's why leadership is not about us it's about uh, it's about the people and we need to make them feel confident in themselves their ability and also in us that we're not trying to push them into the deep end mm. so my my book fast comes back to that theme because what there's a lot of areas of leadership and um, excuse my language when I say this but you know, a lot of people focus on leadership, on on emotional intelligence and authentic leadership, and, and I think that's fantastic, and I think it's massively important. But for me, a lot of times what I found there was I was trying to make an asshole 
who could deliver into a nicer person. And I, and I found that um, a very, very difficult task and actually not one that I was overly keen to do. And what I wanted to do was to work with more authentic people that were value-based, that had all mm -hmm. of the qualities to be a good leader but lacked that ability or needed help with the ability to deliver. So FAST is about how do you achieve results? So then you can work with people that have got authenticity and you give them the delivery skills so that they can that they can move forward. Much easier path. So what I did was I um, I looked at somebody asked me, this is how it started, somebody asked me, I was coaching them and I asked them, what are your three uh, your three key strengths? And they said, I don't know, what are your three key strengths? And I thought, actually, I don't know either. Because I thought, you know, I would normally say approachable, integrity, uh, and determination or something like that. But that doesn't really differentiate I me and it doesn't explain the success in projects that I've had. So I went back and looked for it and I asked myself, do I have a repeatable process that I use to turn around failing projects or deliver these complex projects? So there was a turnaround expert. And what I found was that, yes, I did have a, a process. And the first thing I do is I look to find out why things are failing. And there are four key reasons why we fail. The first two impact our effectiveness uh, and the, the progress that we make. And these are um, a lack of focus. We don't know what our goal is. We don't know what success looks like. And if you can't see the target, you're never going to hit it. The second that goes into this effectiveness is a lack of accountability. We either haven't given clear roles and responsibilities to people or we haven't gotten them to accept accountability or we haven't held them accountable and when you lack focus and accountability it impacts your effective mm -hmm. and when you're ineffective doesn't matter how hard you work you're like a hamster on a wheel you're just going to get burnt out frustrated demotivated and it's not going to work so those are two reasons that impact our effectiveness then the other two reasons for failure, and these impact our efficiency, is a lack of, of too much complexity. And when we overcomplicate things, um, we, we make it difficult for people to understand and see how they will be successful. And on projects that failed, there's research that shows that 75% of the time, people knew day one that the project was going to fail. And this was because they didn't understand or they couldn't see how it's going to be successful. And when that happens, when you get the first bump in the road, people quit. So you, we have to keep things simple. And then the last part that goes with the efficiency is transparency. We need a kind of a speedometer it's two parts transparency. One, do you know what's involved? You know, if we want to have a baby, we need to know it's going to take nine months. You can't commit to four, five, or six months. Some things just take nine months, and we need to understand that so we don't sign up to failure before we start. And then the second thing is we need that speedometer to know, or, or more accurately, a GPS, so that on the journey we know exactly where we are, how much further we've got to go. Because a lot of times people snatch defeat from the jaws of victory because they didn't realize how close they were. You know, mm. when, you, when you're climbing the mountain and you've just got your head down and pushing, and if, you, if you can't see the summit, it's very easy to just think, you know what, I'm done. 
um, and, and quit. So that's what the that's what the book is. That's what the process is. And if those are the things that cause us to fail, if we can increase our focus, so get clarity over what our goal, what our objective, mm -hmm. share that with our team, get clarity around um, and increase our accountability. That increases together our effectiveness and if you can make things simple and have transparency and know what's involved and have a feedback loop that shows the progress that motivates you this increases your efficiency and if you can increase effectiveness and efficiency you will blow your output out of the water I've used this approach to help people improve performance by 50 to 500 percent at one company, I, I helped them to increase savings from 210 million to 350 million over a seven-year period. And you can apply it to personal goals, as entrepreneur to your business, to projects. It works on everything. But you've got to do all four. You need to know what the goal and objective is, who's involved, clear roles and expectations, hold them accountable, keep everything simple, and then have the transparency in order to know what's involved and know where you are on the journey. So any, um, and thank you Gord for that, and you obviously practicing what you're preaching here by having simplicity in this model as well. Yeah. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with Brendan Bouchard's work in, you know, habits of highly effective uh, or high performers, but his, his research showed what was the number one habit of high performers? Clarity, which is right back to focus. So that just anchors on your work as well. But uh, I want to uh, delve a little bit in item number two. In yeah. your experience, how uh, help the audience, help um, leaders here or individuals that are working with others to, how do I set up a successful accountability process wow. and, and, and work with individuals and, you know, what, what, you know the, that's the word, but then what are the steps and processes to ensure that accountability is deployed and owned? So all, all four of them, focus, accountability, simplicity, transparency are important. Simplicity is my favorite because that's the one that can deliver the most benefit when you really get that rolling. But the one that most people struggle with is accountability. And one of the things that people don't understand about accountability is that you cannot delegate accountability. I can delegate responsibility, I can say this is your job, but you have to accept accountability. And if people don't accept accountability, then they just feel responsible, and if it's um, if things start to go bad, then they might, they might choose to try and do something about it, or they might just accept that poor performance. But what we really want is that we want accountability. We want ownership and there are three things that we need to do to um, to get that and the first one is leadership defines culture and accountability starts with us so we have to be accountable as leaders if we are not accountable as leaders then our team some people will, will do it if their leader isn't accountable but it will not become a culture it will not become widespread people model the behavior of leaders so as a leader, you have to be accountable. You have to make commitments. You have to meet commitments. We then need to hold people accountable for outcomes, not process. Because when we hold them accountable for process, if you tell me, 
do A, B, and C, and I do A, B, and C, and, and that fails, whose fault is it? It's not mine. I did A, B, and C. It's the process's fault. So you give people an opportunity to blame the process to say, not my fault, it's the process. Whereas if you hold them accountable for outcomes, you can tell them, this is how I normally do it, A, B, and C, but you know, you're free to have a little bit of uh, leeway, unless it's uh, a dangerous where you've got a regulated process, but that's not true mm -hmm. for many people. But give them some, give them a little bit of empowerment. Let them be responsible for the outcome because when when they're responsible for the outcome if it starts to go badly then they have the opportunity to change the way things are being done and that's when they're going to take ownership rather than just say okay I, I, I've followed the process and it's failed I, I can blame somebody else and so hold people accountable for outcomes not um, uh, and then the last one is to set people up for success um, and what do I mean for this well it comes back to people have to accept uh, accountability and there's a very very simple technique to get people to um, accept accountability and it's this you ask them do you have everything you need to be successful and when they say yes they've implicitly accepted accountability and a lot of and a lot of leaders say to me but what if they say no okay fix it you're accountable for setting them up for success and when you ask them do you have everything that you need to be successful if they say no it's your job to fix it and if you don't fix it if you don't put them in a position where they believe they can be successful why should they accept accountability they can take responsibility but you know yeah you want me to follow you want me to do a b and c i know it's going to fail but hey you're the boss i'll do it anyway so we have to ask that question do you have everything you need and if they say no give it to them if they say well I'm not sure I quite understand then explain it to them and you might find that there's a little bit that's missing or they you know they lack a little bit of skill it might be a little bit of confidence and what I've found is when I take that approach one my teams really appreciate it because I'm showing that you know, and it comes back to modeling accountability by asking that question I'm making sure that I've set them up for success uh, and when I do that, people take ownership and you start to see the results really blossom because they start to trust you as a leader. So those yep. are the three. Be accountable, hold people for accountable for outcomes and set them up for success and ask them, do you have everything you need? Well, it's a perfect question, Gordon, because if you ask that and they say, no, I have everything I need, then when it comes to accountability process, then the excuses are gone because you said you had everything that you needed. Yeah, absolutely. They've, no, they've nowhere to go. You had, everything you, you had everything you needed and yet you failed. Can you explain that to me? Hmm. And that, of course, is the other question on the other side is trying to figure out where the system, the process, the outcomes broke down. When you get into step number four, Gord, on transparency, 
anything else you want to add on that that would help the audience today, you know, in yeah. my life or in business? So transparency, keep it as simple as, poss uh, as uh, possible. So, um, you know, for me, I'm, I'm currently uh, training for a marathon, but I need to lose 10 kilos, and I'm planning to do that over a 20-week period. So I have a chart, and every two weeks, my expectation is to lose one kilo. So half a kilo a week. So you know, create your create a graph of progress. Everybody creates a plan of activity, but we need a plan of outcomes. So after week one, you know, if it's a ten week plan, week one you should have achieved ten percent of the result. What was that? Week two, twenty percent, week three, thirty percent, week four, forty percent. And plot plot the progress you expect. And it might be that, you know, it, it for something like weight loss, you might lose a one kilo in week one and half a kilo in week two. So you can, sorry, in week ten. So you can kind of, um, rather than have a linear curve, have a a little bit more of a profile to it. But plot that out. And the reason why you need to do that is twofold. One, as you start to make the progress, it will motivate you. And secondly, what are you holding people accountable to if you're not tracking progress? If you're holding them accountable for outcomes and you don't have a plan of outcomes, what are you holding them accountable to in your review meetings? So if, you're, if you've agreed to go on a diet where you're going to lose 10 kilos in 10 weeks or 10 pounds in 10 weeks, if we don't have a proper measurement system that we can do every single week, I have to ask you, how's it going? And you say, yeah, it's green, everything's fine. Uh, yeah, that might work, it might not. Get a plan of progress and get actual results. Get people on the scales, look at it and check to see what the performance is. Mm -hmm. And that allows you to really um, tighten the screw a little bit more on accountability. And when it comes to accountability, when, when people uh, don't make the progress, the, the, the one thing we should ask them is, what do you need from me to get back on track? Don't get into the blame game. Ask them what do they need to get back on track. And, and that transparency will allow you to hold people accountable. If they're making the progress, you can say, good job, well done. And if they're not, you can say, okay, what do you need from me to help you get back on track? And when you take that approach, you have the visibility into performance, and that helps you hold people accountable. And throughout my career, I think I've fired two people. Throughout my career, I've had a lot of people where, where we've had these plans of progress and each week we've met and they haven't met it and I ask them, what can I do to help you? Eventually, they'll tell you, actually, I don't think this job's for me. Will you help me find another role? So I had a lot of people who've um, left companies because they couldn't hack it and I didn't have to fire them because we had that transparency, I tried to support them, they could see it wasn't working and then they voluntarily decided to go and look somewhere else or find a role that was uh, more suitable for them. You don't have to be aggressive about holding people accountable, you can do it from a position of uh, support and love. But we have to do our uh, homework in the background Gordon, of what is it that we're trying to measure success? And you know, even as a, a company owner, we get busy doing a bunch of other things and skip over some of these steps. 
and it's really not to their fault. It's our fault as leaders of not doing some of the four basics items that you've uh, laid out here in the book fast. Yeah, and, and it's and we haven't done it. I, I had a meeting. I did a I did a talk with a company in um, California, and they were a company that are doing about 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 forty million in business. And I, I did a so I I do a talk on fast for about ninety minutes. And and then they said to me, would you mind sitting through, it, it was like a two-day strategy meeting. <clears throat> and I stayed for the two days and I, I saw them present the results from the previous year, talk about the next year, and then I did my talk. And at the end, during the Q&A, the CEO asked me, you know, once we'd, and I'd answered the questions, she asked me, what do you think about our performance over last year? and our plans for this year. And I said, your performance looks fantastic. I've just got one question uh, that is just eating away at me a little bit. And I said, what are the goals for your company? And she said, what? And I said, what are the goals for your company? Because this is your strategy meeting with your top 15 managers. Uh, and you're talking about 2018. I've no clue what your goals are. And she said, oh, don't worry. Everybody knows them. They're just buried in the report. And I said, why would you bury your goals? And I, and I asked the question, quick show of hands, can anybody tell me what the top three goals are for the business? Not one hand went up. So we did a piece of work and, um, you know, 40 million, and they were growing around 12 to 15 percent. And I said, well, why don't you set a target for this year? And she said, well, I don't want to because, you know, we do 12 to 15. I said, okay, let's set a three-year target. Let's set an average of 12 and a half. And that would mean in three years you'll go from 40 million to 60 million. And she was like, oh, oh I, I don't want to write that down. I said, why not? She said, because I don't want to trade off profitability for revenue. And I said, well, what's your profitability? She said, it's 35%. I said, okay, so we've now got two goals. We're going to go from, we're going to go to 60 million in uh, 2020 and we're going to be at 35% profitability. She said, no, no, I don't want to do that. Why not? Because I don't want any business, to any client to be more than 50% of our business. And I said, okay, that's goal number three. And we wrote that, I said, any more? And she was like, no, that's, that's fine. And I looked at the people around the room, I said, are you comfortable with these goals? And they said, yeah, absolutely. And then the finance person said, I'm not. And I thought, oh shit, this is, uh, is going to go as well. And the finance person said, I think we could get to 40% margin. I was like, really? And the CEO was grabbing my hand and I said, look, don't interrupt your team when they're trying to increase your profits. That is a bad thing to do. Uh, and we left, I left that company and they had uh, three clear goals. Uh, mm -hmm. 60 million, 50%, no company more than 50% profitability of 40%. And the energy in the room, because people were starting to talk about, okay, well, if we're going to do that, we need to get rid of this product and do that. And it gave people clarity and focus on what they needed to do. Without the goals, they were kind of just bumbling along and hoping that at the end of the game, uh, they, they, they might have got a win or, a, at worst, a draw. So we have to give people that clarity of what the goals are. Create a plan of progress to hold them accountable to it. Have review meetings so we can hold them accountable and then ask them, do you have everything you need and try and simplify the, the processes. And just simplifying the goals was a huge step forward. I find it motivates and engages people. 
If you don't know what the goal is, how can you be engaged in achieving it? Mm. Mm. You can't. You, you just cannot. Wouldn't that be true? And I know the answer in advance. That's what great interviewers do, Gord. <laughs> Wouldn't that be true for everything in life? Absolutely. For our, you know, you're talking about uh, getting fit for your marathon and that without that, that specific target, then, you know, anything will do. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to, I'm going to lose some weight. How much? I don't know. How's it going? Fine. <laughs> exactly. So we're almost getting close to the end of the show and I'm sorry to cut you off because we're having such a great uh, collegial uh, conversation. Uh, but I'm going to come back with some sort of final questions for you. But before that, how can people find out about your work? And then you mentioned that you might have a download for all the guests here so, yeah, so and listeners. So yeah. how might they access that, Gord? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll send a link. I guess you could put it into where you share the podcast. We will uh, do that then. I'll, I'll, I'll give you the link. Um, they, it signs them up to my email list, but they can always... Uh, drop out of that. I don't tend to be aggressive in sales. I just, I, I should be a little bit more. I tend to focus on, on adding value, but they can always unsubscribe from that, and that will give them a free download. I, I'm also very fortunate to, uh, from a simplicity perspective. I am the only Gordon Treadgold in the entire world. So if you Google Gordon Treadgold, you will find me and only me. How did that happen, Gordon? I don't know. My son's a professional musician. He's called Dan. You Google Dan Treadgold and there's hundreds of them. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just, I am, you know, that the old football chant was only one Gordon Treadgold. In my so case, did, you didn't get rid of all the other ones, did you? <laughs> you sent them on an island, uh, cast away, they don't have any internet access and uh, they're just left there. Okay, well that's, how, that's really how you get in the top of the list when we do the search. So for everybody listening, Gordon and Treadgold is spelled T-R-G-D, pardon me, G-O-L-D, and is that .com? Yep. Okay, awesome, awesome. And then what are they going to get in that download, Gordon? You'll get a PDF copy of my book fast, the full book. Awesome, awesome. So Gordon, if you were to haul this experience, you know, being the top 100 Inc. Uh, leaders, uh, speakers, and experts, what would you sort of capture as one of, you know, additional wisdom for our listeners beyond what you've shared so far? One or two things, just kind of capture the audience and share with them that they could implement like straight away as soon as they stop listening to this show? That's a great question. So from a leadership perspective, I, a lot of people ask me, how can I be a, be a better leader? And I have a four-step plan for that which you can do tomorrow. And that is um, smile more, because when you smile, it makes you approachable and uh, reduces stress. Listen more. When you listen to people, you might learn something important and it shows them respect and respect is circular. If you respect them, they will uh, respect you. Talk more. Tell your team more about what you're doing and why you are doing it and that helps with transparency. And then the last part is praise more. 
people what gets rewarded gets repeated and we should praise people and a lot of time people tell me don't praise for effort praise for results no start by praising for effort because effort will lead to results eventually so smile more listen more talk more praise more okay thank you thank you any final word or comment scored for our listeners yeah, leadership, I would say leadership is all about other people, it's not about us. And if you're in it for yourself, then you're in it for the wrong reasons. And we should be looking to uh, help people achieve more results because with that, it allows us to leave a bigger legacy. If I can help 10 people achieve amazing things, they will achieve significantly more than I could on my own and the world would be a better place. So help raise other people up don't be a negative voice be a voice for positivity and and try and you know, lift up the people around you mm. well gord thanks for being on our show today ah oh, my my pleasure absolutely uh absolute pleasure i love to share this kind of stuff well everybody um Gordon has uh, shared his wisdom he's one of the top 100 on Eek magazine so as we end most shows. I, we just ask a favor. If you like what we're doing, please share, pass it on, leave a positive comment on whatever platform that you're listening uh, to. And if you want to learn more about yourself, one of the expertise that CRG has is assessments to get clear about what are your strengths, self-awareness, consciousness, so that you can implement some of the four principles that Gordon has shared with you. Thank you again for listening to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes.